Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Chris, very good to have you. Um, and it's been a very busy news cycle since we last caught up last week. And uh, first topic today, uh, we'd be remiss not to discuss, is, is Evergrande. Um, and as many folks are probably aware at this point, uh, Evergrande is about $300 billion in debt. Um, there is a default risk that's pending. Uh, we've seen a number of references to, to Lehman Brothers and the U.S. housing crisis. Um, so, you know, question to you, Chris, is, you know, do you see those types of similarities? Um, yeah. And then the second follow-up to that is, you know, do you think that Evergrande has that type of potential global disruption? Yeah. So I would say the reference to Lehman, um, I, don't, I don't buy into that. Um, you got to keep in mind, one of the best products to sell on Wall Street is hedge protection. So the more you can fear people into buying hedges, the more profitable your fourth quarter would be. So there's a lot of reasons to bring up these fears. I think it's a big deal, but not for uh, financial contagion. And if you look at the market, the market is yawning. If you look at TED spreads, it's a non-event. If you look at the 2 to 10 spread, it's a non-event. The two-year actually uh, moved a little bit higher. If you look at option-adjusted spreads, they're 16 basis points higher, but they're down 17 basis points month on month. If you look at the often-cited uh, high-yield index in China, go through the constituents. Yes, all the property developers are struggling. The other securities in the index aren't moving. Um, so I don't, I'm not fearful of financial contagion. It's very different in a closed capital system versus what it is in the U.S. So could it ultimately have material financial reverberations? Absolutely. But it's not like Lehman where it was an immediate fuse lit and then there was just calamity uh, beginning days or weeks thereafter. I do think it signifies a very significant shift in the rebalancing within the Chinese economy. And it's really important to understand that China was responsible for 40% of global GDP growth, and that's not going to be the case anymore. Uh, they're going to struggle for a host of reasons to grow um, anywhere close to what they've done historically, which means global growth is going to be weaker on the other side of this. This is also a reflection of some of the inflationary issues that we've seen as well, and housing costs in China have gotten to be an issue, just like they have here in the U.S., and the market dynamics surrounding that uh, was wholly un unstable for a long-term growth uh, model, and, you know, they're reversing that. So I think it'll have very material impacts on, on the material sector and the industrial metals area over time, and just lower growth in general. We, we shouldn't expect China to turbocharge global growth going forward. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about slowing down and, and, and growth slowing down, we've seen now the S&P is down about 3.5% in September alone. Um, and it seems like we're in the midst of that kind of classic challenge seasonality that, that exists. And, you know, as we think about this, you know, I guess a couple questions um, here. You know, why, why do you think that the market hits this annual pocket of disruption? Um, and then do you think that the market's going to respond as we, as we move through quarter, uh, third quarter here um, and potentially in, in rally in the fourth? Yeah, so it's interesting. For whatever reason, and who knows why it's the case, September and October is typically a weak period of time for the market, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with rebalancing um, and some of the, the, the fund year-ends and the way uh, reallocations are done. Uh, what's interesting is it's, it's so well telegraphed that we're in a growth slowdown. 
Um, and the market is very fearful of a correction. And for those reasons, we may not be able to correct. So should we have a, a correction? Absolutely. There would, it wouldn't surprise me at all with a 10% correction. But when you look at market positioning, we're very net short the S&P 500. We're very long the dollar. And if we don't correct, those positions are going to start to be covered, and that could create a melt-up into the fourth quarter. When we look at true economic data and we look at earnings, I don't know that that's going to be as powerful uh, mechanism for a rally in the fourth quarter, just because the data is going to continue to come in weaker. And as we've already seen with FedEx and Disney and others, you know, where, the, where earnings are going to be strong, it's discounted, and the surprises going forward are going to be earnings weakness, growth weakness, margin pressures. That's what we're going to see more of impacting the market. So I really think the positioning of the market could give us a narrow window for uh, uh, some, some bullish moves as we unwind this bearish trajectory. Uh, and talk about some of the other signs that, that might be positive then. Um, you know, I think there's been some new data that suggests that the inflation cycle might be concluding. Uh, it's a little tough to see through it, you know, because at the same time, if I just pick on something like natural gas, I'm looking at European natural gas is up about 280% year to date. Um, we've hit food, shipping, it's home energy. Um, yeah. We've seen a lot of shortages facing consumers. Even natural gas here in the U.S. is up about 100% year to date. Um, so if I'm thinking about this, uh, is that maybe a sign um, that we've reached peak inflationary pressures? Yeah, I think we have. Um, and what's important to understand, as we've talked about in the past, this inflationary cycle is not about base effects and supply chain disruptions necessarily. It is a self-reinforcing cycle, not unlike what we saw uh, during the 70s or any other inflationary cycle. Uh, it's already peaked in emerging markets, and we knew that the developed world was moving into a growth downturn. Um, we've got more data today that says that we have, in fact, seen the peak in inflationary pressures in the U.S., and we have we have entered an inflationary cycle downturn, um, and that will play out, you know, over the next several months or so. And we've also got further evidence that the downturn in global industrial growth and manufacturing is continuing to worsen, as is the growth downturn in services, as is um, the employment recovery. It's going to begin to weaken here in the fourth quarter. And given the longer leading nature of these indicators, it would seem to indicate there is no bottoming in uh, economic activity or an inflection higher in growth, at least until early 2022, which again goes back to the thought around data isn't going to drive a fourth quarter rally. It's going to be potentially unwinding this bearish positioning that does because economic data is set to weaken, uh, inflationary pressures are set to ease, it doesn't mean that we go back to the prior inflation regime. Uh, you know, it's important to understand that even through the 70s, we had inflation cycle upturns and downturns. And some of those downturns, you know, took inflation into the low single digits, but it didn't mean we wouldn't further have an upturn that takes us to 12%. It's going to depend on what we do with monetary and fiscal policy. Um, and it's going to depend on what happens to inflationary expectations. We've already got the liquidity and the money that's been added in the form of potential uh, loans and uh, increases in, in velocity of money. So if we change expectations, 
then we will get more inflation and this growth downturn in the inflationary cycle will prove temporary. But right now, it is clear inflationary pressures are going to ease. Uh, we'll see much better headlines in three or four months. The growth rate downturn in economic activity continues to worsen. It is definitely spilling over into employment activity. And the positive of that is it will give the Fed room to maneuver should things weaken materially into the middle of 2022. So uh, when you're sponsored, you, you touched on, you know, you referenced monetary and fiscal policy. Um, I guess that dovetails nicely into the, the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell. Uh, he spoke today, and, you know, his narrative seemed to be centered around tapering and tightening. Uh, so, you know, what do you think the odds are the Fed actually falls through on this? Yeah, you know, the Fed, you know, bless their heart, they have lagging indicators, and they've done their best, and they've just really put themselves in a tough spot given their policies for the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, I, I really think what they're trying to do right now is just not screw it up, just not get in the way. And they overstimulated during the, during the COVID crisis that has created and led towards higher inflation and higher inflationary expectations. They're trying not to screw that up and let it get away from them. So now they're talking about tapering and raising rates. And the reality is they're, they're shifting the narrative to tighter policy right into the teeth of a growth rate cycle slowdown in both economic activity and inflationary pressures. So, you know, will they, will they taper? I don't see how they don't taper, um, only because they, are, they really have no excuse for buying uh, mortgage securities any longer, um, and there's more than sufficient liquidity nearer term. Will they raise rates? I'm a little skeptical of that. If they do, it'll be you know, a token raise of 25 basis points. Um, unless we do see that the downturn inflationary pressures is equally transitory uh, and ultimately turns back up again, then they may have to chase inflation higher. So uh, put me in the taper camp, uh, but I'm skeptical of an interest rate increase, just given where I know data is going to be three and six months from now. Good. Well, good. Well, busy week this week, Chris. Lots of, uh, lots of good, exciting things to talk about in the marketplace. So uh, we'll put a bow on it for today, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back again soon. You bet. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.